This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. This week on Meat and 3, we're looking at factors that will shape our food world in 2019. We start with trend predictions and how media covers them. A website could theoretically devote all their coverage to these viral trends and, and get all sorts of hits. That's not a way to build sustainable readerships, just as it's not a way to build you know, sustainable restaurants. We report on a big change coming and how street meat will be served. On January 1st, a ban on plastic foam went into effect in New York City. And we round out the episode with a story about using gene editing to create the spicy tomato of the future. At first, it sounds like a, like a gimmick or like something that you would do for fun. The truth is, there is a real value behind it. It's not too late to make your resolution. Subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode this year. Good evening, and welcome to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Rachel Jacobs, and tonight we have a special live from Fifth Hammer, where we have the NYC Ferments Meetup. The NYC Ferments Meetup is a meetup group that meets every month, and every month people bring what they've been fermenting, and they can talk to other people about troubleshooting, about new recipes, all that sort of things. So if you're in the New York City area, or if you're even just visiting, you should look up this group on meetups.com and uh, yeah, swing on by. Uh, There's usually a theme, but uh, you can generally bring whatever you want. So tonight we bring some of the people who are at the NYC Ferments Meetup on Monday night. And uh, first you'll hear an intro uh, about what the group is about and what the theme is. And then we will talk to some of the people who brought stuff. Uh, So enjoy. (laughs) <laughs> My name is Zach, and I'm one of the co-organizers of the meetup, and welcome to everybody. I see a lot of familiar faces and some new folks. Um, so we'll do a quick go-around. Um, tell us your name, um, what you brought, if you brought anything, um, and if you want to briefly mention kind of what your interests or experience is with fermentation, what you're excited to learn, what maybe you're excited to make, anything like that. And so I brought a uh, koji, a koji ginger. I think it's definitely an experiment. And I have mixed feelings about how it turned out. It's sort of like a condiment paste. And I like to make nut and seed-based misos kimchi, sauerkraut, and some other fun things, but that's, <laughs> that's what I'm excited about these days. Very so. experimental. Yeah. Uh, so as Zach said, um, we are NYC for men's. Uh, we'll, walk, we'll, we'll do this just to give you an idea of the evening, so we'll go around the table, introduce everybody, tell us a little bit about yourself, as Zach said. Um, and then we'll all partake in what everyone's brought and enjoy all that and ask any questions that you have of anybody that brought certain things or just to the group in general. And then at the end we'll come back together and discuss what we're going to do next month and um, some other announcements that we may or may not have by the end of the evening. Okay? 
Um, so I'm also a co-organizer with Zach. Um, my name is Amy, and um, I brought um, some sourdough rye because I figured a lot of the Asian ferments that everyone's going to bring are very spicy, so you might need something to absorb that. And um, I don't know a lot about Asian ferments, but I have been very obsessed with sourdough, and I just keep progressing with that. Um, I do do a lot of other vegetable ferments, you know, sort of basic ones and some stuff with fruit. Um, but really the sourdough has been my main obsession because I do have a day job so that I can afford to keep going with my hobbies like fermentation. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hi, I'm, I'm Emily. Uh, I didn't bring anything today, um, but I look forward to tasting everyone's stuff here. Uh, I have some update on my uh, sauerkraut project at home from last April. I, started, I told you that I was having problems with the sauerkraut, the mold staining the jars. I started cleaning out the jars more, and I discovered that a couple inches down, the sauerkraut was actually really good, so I was able to save some of my sauerkraut. I didn't want to risk bringing it for you guys, but I am myself eating it. <laughs> You'll find it's a very adventurous crowd, though. <laughs> Hello, so we are in the back of Fifth Hammer with some of the participants from the NYC Ferments Meetup group. Hi, can you tell me your name and what you brought for us today? Yes, uh, my name is Laura, and I brought some preserved lemons, which are um, used in Middle Eastern cooking. My f husband's family is from Baghdad, and so there are a lot of sweet and sour dishes to which we add this, uh, the lemons. And uh, you gave a whole kind of like spiel about uh, sweet and sour dishes, and you brought like a bag of key limes. Can you talk about that for a bit? Okay, yeah, well the whole, um, Lemons and sweet and sour plays a big role in uh, the Baghdadi cooking. Uh, there are a whole suite of dishes, uh, these stews that are made with various vegetables like spinach and okra and um, uh, winter squash, uh, to which lemon is added and cooked uh, for a long time with a little bit of tomato juice. And these could be prepared vegetarian, or you can add uh, meatballs or chunks of lamb or whatever, and they're served over rice. So they're actually, because they're so versatile, they're great for a weekday meal. Um, in addition, there's a tradition of something called of fish dishes to which something called numi basra are added. And these are actually limes that are from the city of Basra. And they're tiny limes that sort of look like uh, key limes. And they come dried and you purchase them and you powder them and then you make these wonderful fish patties uh, which have these powdered lime in them. And they also have a lot of herbs. Uh, so they're a wonderful uh, dish, again, expanding on the whole uh, lime and sour uh, trend that are, you find in, in, in Middle Eastern cooking. Very cool. Uh, and so you use key limes because you can't get the Basra limes here? Yeah, that's, uh, they look uh, pretty similar and it's so easy. Of course they're not fermented. I just buy them in the little mesh bags that they come in and I just leave them out to dry on my windowsill and they very conveniently form into these sort of like almost like uh, greenish ping pong balls that you subsequently um, use a mortar and pestle to grind into a fine powder. Yeah, can you tell me a little more about the uh, the fish patties? Like, what kind of fish? Like, how does how do you make those? Well, I think any any kind of white fish, maybe cod, that has a firm uh, texture that you could break into pieces and then mix with uh, the the powdered lime and herbs like parsley, um, and uh, I guess there's probably some uh, breadcrumbs that are mixed in with that. And uh, sort of, it comes out to the consistency sort of like crab cakes, I, I imagine. But the Baghdadis, you know, the Baghdad's on the Tigris and Euphrates River, right? 
And uh, the, the fish that the Baghdadis would eat would came from the, it was a freshwater fish. Strangely, uh, you know, they, they do have a, uh, a, a seaport uh, entry to the ocean, but the fish that they ate was really freshwater fish from the Tigris and Euphrates River, and so that dish was developed um, using freshwater fish. Uh, let's circle back about the uh, preserved lemon. So how did you make that, and like, do you make that a lot? Yeah, I do. It's great to have that on hand. Uh, the preserved lemon, uh, you know, is soft, so it isn't used in the same way that the dried lime is. Um, but and, and, and the recipe that I have um, calls for um, in the marinade. There is there's a cinnamon stick, which gives it a real subtle, subtle kind of aromatic flavor. And pieces of this can be used again with fishes, although not in the fish patties, or it can also be added to the um, the stewed vegetable dishes that I mentioned earlier. And you had a you had a favorite recipe. What what's uh, what book is it from? Oh, it's from Linda Dangour's book. Um, it's I think the the cooking of Bag family cooking of Baghdad. Uh, that that cookbook basically encapsulates all those family cooking um, recipes that I got from my mother-in-law. So if anyone wants to um, explore the whole sweet and sour issue uh, from Baghdadi cooking, they should look for that. Thank you so much. Hello, who are you and what have you made today? Hi, I'm Stephanie and um, today I made two things. I made grilled eggplant with miso glaze and I also made daikon radish. And you want to hear about the daikon radish? about both of them, but uh, let's start with the daikon. I have to admit that this, it's for personal reasons. I'm getting a lot of daikon in my CSA, like a lot of daikon, and I need to know what to do with it. Okay, so I salted it first overnight, and then the next day I rinsed the salt off, and then I made a mixture of miso, mirin, I think maybe a little, maybe a little sugar. I don't even remember if there was another ingredient or not. I don't remember. And I put it um, in the in the glaze all around, and I, and I put a weight on top of it, and I left it outside overnight. Not outside, I mean, on the counter, yeah, over, yeah, overnight. And then the next day I put it in the fridge, and it's been, I made it on January 24th. So it's like a week and a half-ish. Something like that. And then to come, I just gave, I rinsed half of them off and I left the other half in the miso because I thought some people would prefer one or the other. They taste exactly the same, if you ask me. And I kind of like it with the miso like still the miso around. miso sauce, yeah. too. Yeah, it's just there's something about that texture that just yeah. makes I mean, what, like yeah, what I liked, what I was pleased about was the fact that it still had a little crispy, like I saw, it had texture to it. And a little bit of bite, and a little bit of bite in the in the pickleness of it, in the sourness of it. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, how do you suggest uh, cutting up the daikon into like slices or like chunks is fine? Big chunks. I made it in half half inch chunks. But actually, when I was looking today to see what the other ingredients were to remember. I noticed that they made a miso pickle with rhubarb, and now I can't wait until springtime because the idea of rhubarb and me, yeah, so I'm really excited for spring to try it with rhubarb. That does sound really cool. Um, yeah, what's your background in fermentation? Have you made a lot of other things? So I started with kombucha, and now um, I just, like, my apartment is being overrun with scobies, much to my daughter's chagrin. Um, 
and then I went to a, a meetup, no, to a, a fermentation festival in Brooklyn last year, and the meetup was there, and they said, oh, you should come to the meetup. So I've been coming for almost a year and, um, and trying, you know, I'm just loving it, just trying different things and just being inspired by everybody else and what they're up to. That's amazing. How did you find the, uh, the, the fermentation festival? I've been to two now. I was at the one in Brooklyn and the one in the Berkshires, and they were both really um, quite different, one from the other, but the one in Brooklyn was more um, beers, and the one in the Berkshires was more mixed, mixed products. Um, but both of them had a lot of workshops, and, you know, it's really fun. I made a, a fire cider. And now I'm not sure how do you, somebody mentioned their fire cider today and I want to find them and ask them if they drink it diluted or straight up. Oh, I think you drink it straight up. Do you? Uh, sometimes. How much? Uh, usually just like a shot's worth, a couple of ounces at a time. Um, although I have um, a couple of friends that use it in mixers and make like cocktails from it. Uh, so it like works like a, a shrub, which is like a kind of a vinegary flavored uh, syrup thing that you put into like a cocktail. Yeah. Uh, what are you uh, What are you excited to make next? Um, I don't know what the theme is. <laughs> Ask me after they announce the theme. What's your name and what brings you here? I'm Arlene Jacobs, and um, I'm 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 very interested in food. I was a chef. I still am, actually. I teach cooking, and so I love the alchemy of um, fermenting foods, watching the changes, watching something come alive. Um, and I'm very interested in creating flavors, different kinds of flavors. Um, I started with sourdough, which is um, yeah, which is pretty time-consuming. That's quite and, a way to start. Yeah, major yeah. challenge. And then I discovered the group, and I started to come, and I'm now into miso and uh, fermenting vegetables, and I make kefir, kombucha, um, and uh, kvass which is a beet kvass, very refreshing drink in the summertime. So I'm hooked. I just, um, I just, I just think about it. I'm obsessed, actually. Think about it all the time. What did you make today? Um, well, I had just done the miso class with Cheryl. So um, I made uh, cured eggs with, uh, that had miso, kimchi juice, and fermented black beans, but, which I thought was interesting and something that I think I could snack on. I, I think that I would enjoy that. And um, I also made some tofu with mirin, soy sauce, sesame oil, ginger, and one other ingredient that just I can't, but I know it's fermented, something else that's fermented. That's, that's what I can tell you about that one, yeah. That sounds really wonderful. How was the workshop? Have you ever made miso before? No, it was a start, and of course I have to wait a year. I have to be very patient. It's sitting in my cabinet, and I, ch I check it every day. And but I am going to uh, I'm going to start experimenting with different kinds of grains and nuts for the miso. What did you guys use for the workshop? Was it uh, soybeans? Uh, no, uh, garbanzo, garbanzo beans. Yeah, so it should be interesting. But I I want to branch out and. Uh, I find that very uh, intriguing, challenging. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, during the intro uh, when we went around that you were trying to make tempeh and we're finding oh, it challenging. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, um, you know, tempeh uh, is made with be beans or, or grains, and um, 
you put it through a process and then you inoculate it and then um, it forms a mycelium which is uh, similar to what grows underground with mushrooms and um, I followed the book each time I and mean, I followed uh, very carefully um, the recipes and I have not had success so if anybody out there would like to contact me through the group I would love to learn more I know I know there is a uh, place where you can uh, take classes and learning about tempeh, so. Yeah, I think Barry still does a, yeah. a workshop, right. yeah. Right. Yeah. Thought I'd get in touch with him and take yeah, it I think Yeah, I think he'd definitely be interested in that. Uh, what, what part of the process uh, have you been having the most trouble with? Well, the first time I did develop a mycelium and then I left it overnight and by morning it was all gone I mean the mycelium was gone and it was no longer no longer uh, alive and then the second one I just did last weekend nothing just nothing happened it never got after the 12 hours um, of um, incubating it, it just didn't get hot on its own and it I kept testing it with my thermometer and I it was dead yeah <laughs> so I, I, but I don't give up. I'm just going to keep trying until I get it right. And I'll bring some. Have you been making it in your own apartment? In no, your own yeah, I have a very small apartment, but I do have a proofer. Uh, yeah, which is helpful. And I just improvise, find ways of getting it done. Yeah. Of all of the different ferments that you've made over the years, what's your favorite to make and what's your favorite to eat? The bread, the sourdough bread with a, with a nice piece, uh, with some nice cultured butter, a done cultured butter. And that's a that's a real treat. I'm gonna get a great crust and a great crumb. Very satisfying. Do you have a mother that you've been like hanging on to for a while? Um, for what? I have a vinegar mother. Oh, oh, my starter. Yes, it's it's two years old now. Yeah, I take very good care of it. It travels with me. It travels with you. Yeah. Um, summer. Uh, we spend in Vermont. We used to spend in Vermont, and uh, I would bring it along in a jar and keep it keep it going all summer long. Yep. Oh wow! And it's, I guess it's collected some like yeast from the air in Vermont. I hope too. so, and from me and my environment. And um, I hope it has a nice personality. Yeah. I bet it does. I would love to try some of your bread sometime. I'll have to bring. Yes, I'll have to bake one and bring it. Are you here all the time? Are you here every time? Uh, I'm gonna start coming. Again. Okay. All right. I'll do that. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. All right. Thank you so much. Sure. We're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. All right, hello. Who are you and what did you bring today? My name is Arnie Schlissel and I brought a batch of, well, I brought a quart of kimchi from a roughly five quartish batch that I made uh, just a couple of weeks, uh, just last week. Oh my God. Uh, you said you had 11 pounds of cabbage? Yes, I started with 11 pounds of cabbage, which is two honking big heads of Napa cabbage. Uh, and uh, I broke those down and, and it became, you know, this big batch of kimchi. How much space do you have 
to make that much. Well, I do that in a studio that I keep, uh, which is where I'm a film editor. It's it's the place that I, that I often work out of. Uh, but because it has a regular, it's it's you know it's a studio apartment. It has a re- a, a regular Manhattan-sized kitchen. Uh, so it's enough space to hold a few crocks and a few shelves of jars, and it has a normal-sized refrigerator and and things like that. Can you tell me about uh, your process in making the kimchi? Aside from cutting up the eleven pounds of cabbage. Yes, um, I've read a few books over the last couple of years on kimchi making Um, and so I I sort of extracted a recipe from that Um, but basically uh, you break down the cabbage you uh, dry salt the cabbage let that let that sit for half an hour to an hour while you're doing that you make up the seasoning paste which is uh, largely chili flakes but also a bit of um, anchovy sauce, uh, a little bit of brine shrimp, uh, some various other spices and things. And you let that sit and kind of come together. Then you rinse the, ca- rinse the cabbage really well, mix it with a seasoning paste, and then I pack it into a fermentation crock. I have a few crocks, including one that belonged to my great-grandmother. The crock that I used for this, I bought in Chinatown a couple of years ago. It's about seven liters, and it has an air-locking lid so that um, so that things like kimchi, which like to ferment anaerobically, they don't get contaminated by the oxygen, and, and the bacteria that make it into kimchi really love that environment. And then that I let that ferment for about five days. Uh, and you could easily tell that the activity had slowed down because it had stopped pushing liquid out through the lid of the crock. Uh, so I knew that it was kind of like, it was kind of starting to, to slow down and rest. Did you put anything uh, other than any other vegetables or like whole spices into the kimchi? Um, I put some scallions in, uh, some onion. Uh, there's nothing particularly exotic. This is, for me, this is like a plain vanilla type of kimchi. Yeah, I, I heard you talk about that at the uh, intro. Yeah, what is what experimental kimchi did you bring the last time you were alluding to? Oh, uh, last month I brought um, I brought rutabaga kimchi, and I had also experimented with making um, uh, with making Brussels sprout kimchi. It's really good. Yeah, it was really good for a while, but then as it aged, it got really stinky and kind of sulfurous, and I wound up tossing a bit of it out. Um, and in the past, I also made kimchi using bok choy, which came out really, really well, and I highly recommend it. Uh, and I'm starting to get the opinion that you could probably make kimchi from almost, almost any vegetable. I'm kind of looking forward to the summer when I can get fresh cauliflower and some other vegetables, and we'll have an opportunity to play with different kinds of kimchi. But the thing that I really like to pickle the most is more things like, you know, like uh, kosher garlic pickles and other kinds of other kinds of pickles which are more, you know, Western, more Eastern European. The pickles of my youth, as I like to say. Do you do fermented or brine pickles? 
Yes, I yeah uh, yeah I do I do brine fermented pickles yeah. Um, Sorry, not vinegar pickles is what I meant. No, yeah, not, not vinegar pickles. No. Do you have any favorite recipes for that? Oh, I do do a... um, I've been working on a kosher garlic pickle, uh, which I've been working on for several years, and I'm starting to almost get good at it, which is based a little bit on uh, the joy of pickling, but I add a lot more garlic, and uh, and I've, I've, I've taken it forward... In, more in a direction. I'm trying to reach the pickles that I grew up with on the Lower East Side in the 1960s. And, um, yeah, right. You know, the kind of pickles that you would get now from, uh, there's a shop called The Pickle Guys, uh, or from Gus's Pickles, or people like that. Um, and also, uh, I mean, I've, been, I've also experimented a little bit with other variations on that, like adding extra mustard or other or other things, um, uh, partly because it's fun. You know, it's it's more interesting. Um, and then another thing that I like to do is uh, I make a little bit of sauerkraut um, and sour reuben, and I've just experimented with with a lot of other kinds of vegetables, and and it's just a lot of fun. Really great. It sounds like a lot of good, like, brassica makes pretty good kimchi. Yes. Yeah. Uh, brassica, a lot of cabbages. You know, anything in the in the general family of brassica and cabbages, it usually makes a good pickle of some sort somehow. Um, uh, did you use any, like, inoculant for your kimchi batch, or was it like the old kimchi batch? No. No. No, nothing. Just, uh, just mix everything together, shove it in the crock, weigh it down put on the lid and uh, and hope it doesn't overflow. That's fantastic. Uh, what brought you to the uh, New York City Ferment Meetup Group? I was looking I, I was looking to find other people who ferment stuff. Other people who make pickles and other people who do other ferments. I used to bake all my own bread although I didn't do sourdough. There's a number of people here who do sourdough breads and it gets me interested maybe in baking again and other people who are doing things like kombucha and and, uh, and playing with misos and things like that and it's just really exciting it's a lot of fun what are you looking forward to uh, making in the future I'm looking forward to making uh, making some garlic pickles in the summer every year I I pickle whole heads of garlic I'm looking forward to that um, uh, yeah. They don't come out like fennel-y? No, they come out garlicky, and I just opened up the last jar that I put up last summer, and those are kind of sweet because it's uh, those garlic heads were smaller and a little younger and more tender, and uh, so those those came out kind of sweet. They're they're almost like garlic candy, uh, and. And I always look forward to doing that every year. It's like around around the middle end of June, I start obsessively going to the farmers markets and looking at the garlic heads to see are they are they at the exact right stage yet for me to do this. Is that a tip you have? Every time I've tried to like add garlic to fermentation, it's they've turned out blue and then also taste like fennel. It is perfectly normal for them to turn blue. That's a chemical reaction. It is not toxic. 
Um, and they're testing like fennel is also just a, a kind of chemical, it's an enzymatic reaction. It, it, it changes some of the flavor, uh, some of the chemicals that create the garlic flavor become chemicals that create fennel flavor. It's, uh, it's a normal thing. Do you have any tips to avoid that because I don't like fennel? Um, I don't know how to avoid that. Um, but I do know when you pickle whole heads of garlic, they do not turn blue. They stay, they stay like whole heads of garlic. Something about them staying together makes them more garlicky. I don't know. It could be that. It could be because it's really just garlic water and salt. It doesn't have any of these other things that might introduce other chemical compounds. Thank you so much. Anytime. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, all right, so uh, what's your name and what did you bring today? What did you make today? My name is Kim Joseph, and I, today I brought some fermented beets with rosemary and sage. Can you tell me a little bit about the process that you made them? Oh, sure. Um, this is actually one of my first time fermenting uh, vegetables. So I just uh, made a brine, which is a mixture of water and salt. And then um, in the bottom of the jar, I put the rosemary and the sage and probably some peppercorns I don't know and then um, cut up the vegetables and then put them in the jar and then I poured the brine over top and then um, to for a weight to weigh down the vegetables below the liquid my my roommate recommended using like a, a plastic ziplock filled with water so I did that and um, yeah that and that that day I also did some watermelon radishes and uh, carrots and leeks have you tried any of those yet? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, they're all really good. <laughs> so what made you want to foray into making vegetables? Well, um, it began with the sourdough. So, But um, I belong to a CSA, and we get wonderful, beautiful vegetables from Golden Earthworm Farm on Long Island. And um, we just had so many vegetables, and I thought, well, I think, you know, I have to ferment some of these to preserve them. And, um, and also just wanting to include more... Uh, fermented food in my daily diet. <laughs> oh man, yeah, what, what other things from your CSA have you fermented? Just the leeks and the, and the radishes? Yeah, just the, the watermelon radishes and then the carrots and leeks and the beets. Yeah, let's go back to the sourdough. So you usually make sourdough. Tell me about how that started and uh, what kind of breads you like to make. I do make sourdough. Um, uh, about Three years ago, I went to a friend's house for dinner and she sent me home with two loaves of sourdough bread. And at that time, I wasn't eating bread because I was having difficulty digesting it. Plus, I also had just returned from living in Asia and I was eating rice. So um, anyhow, I took her wonderful bread home and, and I ate it and I didn't have any, it was easy for my body to digest. So I asked her to teach me. Um, you know, like, uh oh, you know, okay, so I need to learn how to make this bread, you know, and so that started about three years ago, and um, every week I would make a loaf of bread and, and try until it got to the point where um, I was already selling like uh, cakes and cookies and things at my CSA, and I, I had thought, okay, let me, let me bake some bread and bring it and see if, if anyone's interested. And, and they were, and it sold, and, and so that's when my, my business began. It's called Little Wild Branch Bakery. Little Wild Branch Bakery. And so I don't have a physical location, but I rent space at the Queensboro Restaurant in Jackson Heights. 
So I use their uh, their space when they're not using it to bake. So I bake my bread actually in a pizza oven. <laughs> so. Oh, wait. oh, can I ask about that process? So I've made a little bit of sourdough bread. Uh, I was unemployed for like two weeks and I spent the whole time making sourdough bread because <laughs> it takes like three days. Uh, yeah, so I don't have a Dutch oven, so I was ended up using these um, circular, they're quiche pans basically. Um, but like, I feel like I would always have a better uh, outcome with like a, a Dutch oven, but I don't imagine you use a Dutch oven in a pizza oven. No, no, and that's how I did it at home. I used to bake with a with a Dutch oven or a cloche or you know some kind of a clay baker. Um, and in the pizza oven, when I first started using it, I had to learn how to bake all over again. It was a you know completely different process, and I developed a, a certain dough that works best in that oven, like something that's more um, substantial bakes well. Yeah, because it's um, the what the hardest part is is to get enough steam in the oven. So if you can visualize me standing there after I put the loaves in with uh, spray bottles of water and spraying, you know, as fast and as much as I can, like on the walls of the oven to create steam. Do you, does it cook very quickly? So um, that also took me quite a while, uh, a bit of time to figure out the process of that. So what I do now is I bake them for about 10 minutes until they get enough color. And then I switched the loaves to a regular oven uh, to finish baking at a lower temperature, so that the because they were they were becoming really dark. So in this way, I can get the color that I want, and then shift them to finish baking in another oven. That sounds really great. And you you sell them at your at the CSA on Long Island. Um, the the, C, the CSA is in Jackson Heights, Queens. Um, so yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the the main space where I sell is at the CSA, but. Um, also, like during the off season, I set a time at the restaurant, at the Queensboro restaurant, where people can come and pick up their bread. So, yeah, so yeah, and a lot of it is like by order, but I always make some extra. And so, if anyone is there at the restaurant that wants to buy bread, they can buy bread. Um, and then I also the restaurant uses my bread on their brunch menu on the weekends. So it says that avocado toast. That is so awesome. And yeah, and if, uh, if listeners are interested in getting this bread, like where can they go? Is there a website? Is there like a... Yeah, you can find me at littlewildbranchbakery.com. I'm also on Instagram as Little Wild Branch Bakery and on Facebook. That is so awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Nice meeting you. You too. So we are here with at Fifth Hammer with one of the co organizers of NYC Ferments Meetup Group, Elmo, and today you made two different kimchis from two different eras, is that right? That is right. One is uh, significantly older than the other. One I made on Saturday, and the other has been sitting around my house for about a year. So what, what is the difference between them aside from their ages? Um, you can notice the difference when you look at them because they're two different colors. The older kimchi is definitely a lot paler uh, than the newer kimchi. The newer kimchi is um, much more red. And also the leaves of the things that are uh, part of the kimchi, the bok choy in the newer one and the Napa cabbage in the older one uh, are very different. The Napa is much paler um, and the newer kimchi hasn't had time to fade. So it's very vibrant and green. That flavors are way different also. Um. Yeah, the, um, the older kimchi has had a lot more time to mellow out, so you get the heat on the back end. Where the younger kimchi, it's crunchy and it's bright and all of the heat is in front and ends pretty quickly. 
can I ask you about the process? Let's start with the older one, because um, I pulled out some of it and I like pulled out like a whole like head of cabbage. Um, <laughs> so like, how do you make it, and like, why is it in enormous pieces? So the I taught myself to make kimchi because I didn't know anybody else who made it by watching uh, Korean ladies on YouTube, and the way that they make it uh, is by putting whole quarters of the cabbage, stuffing quarters of the cabbage, and packing those into the jar with the core still attached. So that's the way that I still make it. The uh, Even the uh, bok choy kimchi that I made is not separated from the cores, but the bok choy is much, much smaller, so it's a little easier to get on your plate. Yeah, was it baby bok choy? It was very small. It was. It was baby bok choy, yeah. Okay, like normal pieces. Do you, like... So you, like you chop up your kimchi generally after it's already fermented and like as you eat it? Uh, I don't usually just eat kimchi. I use kimchi to make other things. Unless it's, unless it's a younger kimchi and I'm just using it as a side dish or a topping for rice, I'm usually using it for something else like a kimchi jjigae or kimchi pancakes. And so, like, what did, you mentioned that you put honey in your in your kimchi? Uh, so, where does that go in the process? So, um, part of the process of making kimchi is that you have to make a porridge that's the base for the spice paste that goes with the, whatever the the main. I call it the medium. That's not like a technical term, but the medium that you're using. So, whether it's daikon radishes or napa cabbage um, whatever the main constituent vegetable is for the the kimchi um, so in my paste when i'm making the porridge i use uh, rice flour um, and red miso and buckwheat honey and the red miso and buckwheat honey add the umami sort of back end that i'm not getting from using fermented fish uh, or fermented shrimp because I make everything that I that I do vegetarian. Any particular reason for that? Are you vegetarian? I am vegetarian and I've been vegetarian for a long time, but mostly I do that so if anybody wants to try the things that I'm making, if they're vegetarian, then they can. That's very accessible. Uh, it sounds like your kimchi is a lot more complicated than mine. I have like three ingredients in my kimchi. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the kimchis that I make, especially the pechu kimchi that I make, takes about eight hours. Um, because sweating the cabbages takes most of forever. It takes a really, really long time. How long do you sweat your cabbages for? Six hours. Six hours? Mm hmm Oh, my God. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, in the morning, I get them together and I wash them and I um, cut them in half and get them ready salt them and then start sweating them and over about the course of six hours I turn them every half hour um, and sort of re-baste the salt water that's coming off of them over the cabbages and then once they've sweat out for about six hours that's when um, over that time I've already made the paste and you know the porridge that goes with all of the other things the onions and the carrots and soybean sprouts and things like that that are going into the, the paste. That's all been prepared over that time. It usually gives me time to make other things too. I also make things that aren't kimchi and you know, I make krauts and stuff like that. Um, and just regular pickles, you know, just good old cucumber pickles. 
uh, and it gives you a, a whole day to do it. But it's really, it's one of my favorite things to do. It's one of my favorite things to spend a whole day doing. What is the advantage of sweating it for six hours versus like the usual like half an hour to an hour? If you're sweating it for a half an hour to an hour, um, the leaves will wilt a little bit and you will get some water out of them and some salt will absorb into the vegetable but you're not going to get as much of all of that unless you do it over a longer period of time. Much stronger flavor and uh, much... Right. I mean, what you're doing um, by... Not to get boring, but what you're doing by... You like science? (laughs) What you're doing by dry salting all of those leaves is you're setting up osmotic pressure that's not only pulling liquid out of the vegetables, you're also pulling salt into the vegetables. So... In the end, the flavor is going to be more intense the more that osmotic process, the the osmosis is pulling that salt into the the cells of the cabbage. Awesome. Uh, Yeah, what are you looking forward to to making uh, next month? What's next and uh, what's next month's theme? Next month is pickles as parts. So that means that uh, we're not just looking for whatever dressing you're making for your salad, whatever the vinegars are, the krauts and things like that, but the ways that you're going to use them. So I'll probably end up making something like kimchi pancakes because my, my main thing is kimchi. I make mostly kimchi. Um, but, you know, you could also ferment some onions and carrots and make pakoras with them. You could, uh, you know, ferment your potatoes prior to making latkes. Uh, you could... Uh, make sourdough bread that then turns into a sour sweet bread pudding. There are lots and lots of options. That sounds like the best thing. I once made um, kefir cream cheese that I then turned into cheesecake, I think. That sounds fantastic. It was very watery, but like yeah. it was all right. <laughs> you could also use some cultured butter in the graham cracker crust for your. Oh, that's a good idea too. I just use Keebler. <laughs> um, <laughs> that works so much better. I'm going to put that. I'm going to make that next time, I think. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm mad about Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.